0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Lusayel of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I hope that you are excited for this teaching this evening because I am. I'm super pumped and ready to go. I hope you are as well can you just again ask someone if they're ready uh ask them are you ready for tonight because i am ready glory to jesus hallelujah look we we've come so far we've done chapter one of first john the the first chapter of this love letter and some of you are like ah doesn't sound like a love letter to me so far but you will find out how much it is a love letter indeed by the one and only john to uh you find out the people that he's writing to. All right, so we covered First John, and I'm sure the takeaway from First John, chapter one, was that look, if you are willing to confess your sins, to acknowledge that there is sin, what happens? God is faithful and just to forgive you, and it's very powerful, very powerful statement. But we realize that there is forgiveness to those who believe in Jesus. Um, you know, um, we have forgiveness; it's our possession. And it's not something we look forward to receiving, because it's been done once and for all. We have received forgiveness. we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe it, shout hallelujah. "Hallelujah! Amen. Glory to God. So we're going to chapter two. And initially, uh, let me be a very honest and transparent. Initially, I did think we'll be able to I thought, and I didn't think at the same time, but I did think that we were able to we're going to be able to finish this teaching series in the month. Of October near slash free or not (laughs) and no we're not going to stop and go to another teaching series we're going to complete the book of first John all right so it's going to cross over into November probably till the end of November even Uh, but it's going to be worth it amen do you believe me it's going to be worth it I don't want to rush it I don't want to just give you little things here and there I want to immerse you in this I want to help your Bible study culture amen To give you perspective, chapter one has how many verses? Do you know? It has 10. Chapter two has how many verses? 29, almost 30, almost three times chapter one. If I rush it, I will do you no good. So bear with me, we might go to chapter 12 or 13. That's where we might stop, but it's going to be worth every moment of it, all right? Are you with your Bibles? You cannot have a Bible study without your Bible. So bring it out right now. Bring your writing materials. Let's get started, amen. Teaching series Love Letters, and today we're talking about Omo Baba. Omo, ba- Omo Baba. For those of you who are Yoruba, Omo Baba means the child of the Father. right? And it's a very powerful uh teaching. You're gonna find out just how this relates to that. Alright, so over your Bibles, I want to read from Colossians chapter 4 from verse 12. Very powerful scripture. You know I love this scripture with all my heart. Colossians chapter four from verse 12, open it as quickly as you can. Just so you know, I'm going to be reading from the book of, uh, um, from the version NKJV. All right. That's what I'm going to be reading NKJV. So, uh, if you want to follow along exactly, you can use the NKJV Bible. All right. So here it is. Epaphras, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers what is he praying about that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of god i'm saying this again to tell you that this is a possibility for you dear believer in christ you can stand perfect i don't believe this guy was wasting his time praying this there was a reason he was praying this consistently and laboring fervently in prayer the bible says What was he praying about? That you will stand perfect and complete in the will of God for your life. That is the place God wants you to be. And even as we study the Bible, God wants us to to learn, to to understand the harmony of scripture. What we're going to do in this Bible study, as as much as um, there are a lot of instructions, the more important thing is your ability to discern these instructions and apply these instructions in your life. God aims to make you perfect, makes you, to, to make you complete in all his will. Praise the name of Jesus. We're gonna read through the scriptures in First John. I'm going to link them to many other scriptures because I want to show you the harmony, the harmony that exists in the Bible. I want you to see how one scripture corroborates the other scripture. I want you to see how God has you know, littered this little nugget all around for us, for our benefit, so that we are perfect and complete in his will. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. You must take the whole counsel of scripture. Say, I will take the complete counsel of scripture I counsel and, counsel and, I would and I will apply it to my life. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. What I want to do before we start, I know you are eager. You're like, come on, let's do verse one already. I'm there. I'm excited. I want to bring a, a balance, even though I, I really ought not to bring a balance. It's balance in itself. But when I say balances, I know some people might be upset and say, are you telling me I don't have to confess my sins anymore or make confessions? What do you mean that my my sins are forgiven, that my past, present, future sins are all gone, nothing, no issue with God on that front? It doesn't make sense. I feel you're you're a a false teacher, sir. (laughs) Well, uh, no, I'm not. (laughs) But I want to show you something very important. I want to show you... Um something the Bible also says in this line when it comes to to when you make mistakes when you actually fall right and there's there's a teaching i've done this i uh, done on this a couple of times it's I call it the four hours i don 't know if I can remember right now, but the four hours the first one is repentance all right repentance the next one is remember I think the next one is um um the next one is remember, the next one after that is uh something else and then restart. I can't remember. I'll remember uh as soon as I can. But that first one is what I want to highlight repentance. Repentance, all right. Repentance in the scriptures, where does it come into play to believers? Of course, repentance is what happens when you acknowledge your sins and then you get saved. You believe in Jesus and his work and you get saved. But where is the context for repentance? Do you just do anything that is wrong and just go away with it because you're already forgiven? Oh, I don't need to confess that sin because it's fine. Or oh, I watched porn yesterday, or I stole this yesterday, or I stole the lie yesterday, or I did what I shouldn't do. And, you know, it's fine, I'm already forgiven. There's nothing to do about it. And then you go about your day like nothing happened. If that is you, you're in a very, very dangerous place. Let me just say it. If you go about being numb to, to the things that you know are wrong, you're in a very, very dangerous place, and God doesn't want you to be there. What God wants you to be is to stand perfect and complete in his will. His will for your life is righteousness. His will for your life is the life of holiness. Praise the name of Jesus. So look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, from verse 8 to verse 13. Glory to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, from verse 8 to 13. I'm reading from the NLT, so please follow along. Oh, this is a cute scripture, but it's it, it shows something very powerful. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians who had misbehaved. You've seen his letter in, in 1 Corinthians 14 was actually what he was talking about. All right. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Many people don't know this. He's talking about 1 Corinthians, all right? The whole book it was a letter to these guys to warn them, to instruct them, you know, what he tells them, you know, you people are messing up in the church. You know, and he's correcting them. They are doing excessively in 1 Corinthians 14, in things of spirit, they're bringing so much confusion. He's correcting them. He's doing all of these things. They are not taking the Lord's supper. You know, they're taking it in vain. They're not observing communion the way it should be done. And he's correcting them. So he's saying, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first. For I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it. Not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. Look at that. So there's a type of sorrow God expects you to have for wrongdoing. It says, So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Glory to God. It's a kind of godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, the godly kind of sorrow is what you might call remorse. You were caught in an act, and you are sad you were caught in an act, but not necessarily that you did that act. So, the world's kind of sorrow lacks repentance, which results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Like, he's boasting about it. Look at this this godly sorrow look at what he's done for you you know there's such earnestness such concern to clear yourselves such indignation such alarm such longing to see me such zeal and such a readiness to punish wrong you showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right my purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged i wrote to you so that in the sight of god you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. And in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. So, look at what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I rebuked you. The letter I wrote to you in First, Corinth, um, First Corinthians, it, it was a letter to rebuke you, to instruct you, to show you the way. And look at what happened. It brought about godly sorrow, the kind that leads to repentance. Well, what I'm saying is this. There is an attitude to sin that a believer who is growing in consecration must have. If you are numb to sin, if you don't feel it, if you're desensitized, and let me tell you, that's a powerful tool the devil is using today where you are so exposed to something, you start to become desensitized to it. Maybe you, 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 you're seeing that, look, God's plan was for a man and a woman to be together, to, to be in perfect fellowship, to love one another, and be in a marriage covenant. And now in the movie se- or TV series you're watching, it's not a man and a woman. It's, it's Adam and Steve, or maybe it's Madame and Eve that you're seeing in that movie and you're fine you're okay like oh they're so cute together no they are not you know and that's how we get desensitized to these things sometimes we start to compromise our values because well i don't want to hurt anyone well it's not it's not so bad it is bad and god wants you to have godly sorrow when there's any deviation from his will, from his plan. Anything that will stop you from standing perfect and complete in his will, you must be upset about it. You must have godly sorrow towards it, the kind that leads to repentance. Praise the name of Jesus. I wanna extract something from this. I wanna show you something that this is how God corrects. A lot of us in the church, we are not accountable anymore. We want to run our lives a certain way. We don't want anyone to talk down on us or correct us about anything because we're fine all by ourselves. But that's not God's idea. This is how God corrects. He corrects in two major ways. Through his word, through the written word. He corrects through the written word. And we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 16 to 17. I'll rush through it. Oh God, help me to keep the time. 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 16 to 17. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine. For reproof, right? Reproof is a word that means naturally to correct. But here it's more detailed. It's to give evidence for why something is so. For correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's what the word of God is. It's it's, all scripture is given for this purpose. To, To give you a system of doctrine, to give you evidence for what you believe, to correct you and to instruct you in the right way to go. Verse 17, for what purpose? For what purpose is this? That the man of God, the woman of God, the people of God may be what? Complete. You see that word there again. So that you are complete, you are whole, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Praise the name of Jesus. God's word can do this in your life. It's alive, it's quick, it can divine between bone and marrow, it can change your life. The instructions of God's word are enough to change you. Amen. Amen. Number two, through his ministry gifts, just like what happened with Paul. God, you know, revealed this in, as you see in Ephesians chapter four, when Paul wrote that God put these ministry gifts, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle for the edification of the body of Christ so that we are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine so that we are stable in the truth. So God uses ministry gifts. God can use your man of God, your woman of God, to bring correction, to bring the the counsel of the Lord to you. And in those moments, you need to receive this counsel. You need to receive it with godly sorrow. Don't try to to talk down about it or reduce the effect that it's not that bad. At least I'm not like that other person. No, accept that you are wrong. Have godly sorrow. You know, there's a kind of mourning you have that you made that kind of mistake, but not the type that leads to condemnation or or guilt, but the kind that reminds you that, look, your life is a life of righteousness. It's not a life where, you know, it's according to the dictates of the world. Your life is for the Lord, you were bought at the price like like Pastor Chisholm read earlier, you were bought at the price, your life is no longer your own. You have to live for the one who has, you know, called you and saved you, praise the name of Jesus. So God corrects through his word, he corrects through ministry gifts. But you see, he doesn't correct through sickness, poverty, or death. That's not how he... He doesn't teach you a lesson by killing you. What lesson is learned? He doesn't do that. His word is enough. He doesn't need to send a lightning bolt to strike you. His word is enough. Whether it's written word or through his ministry gifts, it's enough to change your life. If only you are humble enough to receive it. I hope that's clear. So when you fall, there's true repentance. If you make a mistake, there's a place to repent. Yeah, yes, we know we have forgiveness in Christ. Yes, we know we have peace with God through Jesus. But there's a place where you see the mistakes that you've made. You've made you did something wrong. You sinned. And you're not happy about it. You're as hating to sin as God is. You, you just detest it. All right? There is that. And God expects it of us. Praise the name of Jesus. Are you ready to start with me at, chapter, at verse 1? Are you ready to go? All right, let's do this. Let's do this. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 2 from verse 1. Praise the Lord. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone, so look at this. um, John is writing that my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So what things is he writing? First of all, you need to realize that the audience seems to change somehow. When he started chapter one, he doesn't talk like that. He says, that's which we have seen and handled. That's how he starts. But now it seems he's addressing his little children, right? And he says, these things I write to you. What things is he writing? The things that are to follow this chapter and the next and the next, right? At least we know for this chapter. So he's writing these things for what purpose? So that they will not sin. So he's writing this to equip them so much so that they do not sin. He's writing this letter to them to equip them in such a way that they lack nothing, that they are consistent in their walk of righteousness. Beautiful. So he, it means that he has the idea that the words of the of the Lord, the inspired words of God, can build them up to such a level. That you do not sin. Think about that. He believes in the power of the word of God. That's beautiful. Then he says this. And if anyone sins. And I love that he uses the word if. If, not when. He doesn't say when any man sins. He doesn't assume that of you. He says if at all you sin. And I like that he gives the possibility of living a, a life consistent in righteousness I love that it gives me hope it gives you hope as well I believe that that this that sin can be an if for you it doesn't have to be a when It doesn't have to be predictable that you would sin it could be that your the prediction of your life and the outcome of your life would always be consistency in righteousness that's beautiful to see but he says this perhaps Perhaps you make a mistake, perhaps you fall, you were you blindsided, you were in a moment of weakness. Perhaps if anyone sins, guess what? Confess your sins, list them one by one. Is that in your Bible? What does he say? He reminds them. And that's the second hour I was talking about. He reminds them and says, look, you have something. You have an advocate who brought forgiveness to you. Look at what he says. You have an advocate with the father. The word advocate is the same word that means attorney. The same word that means intermediary. The same word that means mediator. The same word that means lawyer. So you have someone who is with the father, who stands in your, in your stead, who appeals for your wrongdoing. Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise the name of Jesus. The word advocate is paracletos. So that's the word when you have a helper, a mediator, someone who stands in your place. Praise the name of Jesus. So, but look at this. He, he says we now. The language he uses here is we. In, in chapter one, you see, we, we want you to have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with God and you know, the Father and the Son. But here he's, he's using different language. He's saying we have. He's not saying we have and we want you also to have. He's saying, look, if you sin, if anyone sins, remember that we have an advocate. It's all of us. So it seems like the audience he's speaking to already has a relationship and fellowship with this advocate. Are you following what I'm saying? It seems like he already has, you know, these people already have that fellowship with God, the father and his son, this advocate, praise the name of Jesus. Verse two. Oh, that's very interesting. Are you with me? And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for us only, but also for the whole world. Propitiation means that Christ took upon himself the judgment that we deserved and he satisfied God's righteous judgments. Propitiation simply means a payment that was made where someone took the fault for us. That's what it is. It's a a glorious exchange. That's what propitiation means. So, talking about Jesus, that Jesus himself, our Lord Jesus himself, is the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. And there's a there are some people in the Christian community that they believe in a certain doctrine, and maybe some of you already know this, um, but they believe in a doctrine called limited atonement. Limited atonement is part of their five-point doctrine that says, since God knew the people that would believe in him and get saved since God already knew and in fact their doctrine doesn't just say that God knew God chose God elected who those people would be therefore Jesus didn't have to die for everyone that would be a waste he died only for those who he knew would believe in him because he chose those people that would believe in him does that make sense to you it doesn't make sense to you but do you understand how i've explained it yes right so they're saying that jesus didn't die for everyone that only for a select few those who god already knew would believe in him but this scripture literally breaks that down squeezes it throws it in the trash can closes the trash can throws it in the garbage truck takes the garbage truck into an infernary uh, in an incinerator i beg your pardon burns it and the whole incinerator crumbles as well It just doesn't work anymore, right? Look at what it says. Look at verse, where is it? Verse 2. It says, not for ours only. So the provision for the forgiveness of sins was not just for us who already have forgiveness. It was made available to what? The whole world. The whole world. That is good news. encouraged by that now I can do evangelism with the idea that look I I was not just the only one that the sacrifice was made available for this sacrifice can be for Tom Dick and Harry it can be for anyone it can be for Tom and Jerry anyone can receive salvation that encourages me says not only for us but also for the whole world praise the name of Jesus verse 3 Oh, it gets more interesting. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The word know is ginoskomen. Ginoskomen is where you it's it's similar to the root word where you get epignosis, which is revelation knowledge. So this is how you know God. It's it's a it's a deeper Knowing than just, oh, I know of this person. I know of a Buhari. I know of a Trump. It's more of, I know. I'm his daughter, so I know him. I'm his son, so I know him. It's it's a different, deeper kind of knowing. It says, now by this we know that we know him. How? If we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, I'm going to get back to this. And as we go, I'll build on top of this. But he says a true test that you know God. A lot of people say they know God. But John is telling you, look, this is a true test, an acid test that you really know God. And it's if you do what? If you keep his commandments, you adhere to his commandments, you are faithful to his instructions. That's how we can tell you know God. So he's telling you that your knowledge of God must find expression in your life towards God. Your lifestyle must show that you know God, not just your head knowledge, it must show. If you know God, it means that some of the attributes of God, in fact, all the attributes of God are seen and expressed in your life. Verse four, we're building up on this. Are you still with me? Are you tired already? Verse 4, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, liar, pants on fire. And the truth is not in him. So you tell me you know God, you believe in God, but you are not keeping his commandments. It's, it's, it's an oxymoron. It should not exist. And what John, praise the name of Jesus. What John is trying to expose here is he's trying to address some false teachers. So there's some false teachers that crept into the church and they're called the antinomian teachers. These are the same guys that Jude will talk about, you know, subsequently. But you see, John is opposing these guys because these guys were popularizing the doctrine that you see, you can know God. But it doesn't matter how you live. Who cares about how you live? God has given you freedom, hasn't He? When the spirit of the Lord is there, is freedom. Do whatever you like. Do whatever you like. Enjoy yourself. You know, it's like this. Is this? Is these things that remind me of a, a, a post that I uh, that was on Facebook some years back, many years back, and I've shared this a lot, but it's still, it's still etched in my mind. This lady who was new to faith, who had come, she posted. I rejoice, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the, the, the joys of salvation. I thank God that God, you know, loved me the way I was. You know he accepted me as i was i'm like okay okay good good well done i thank god that jesus died for my sins and he rose up again for my justification nice great she's doing well keep going keep going girl and she's like you know i thank god he saved me it didn't matter how i was my background yes you're on track keep going girl yes you're getting this He said and even now that i'm a lesbian ma even though i'm a lesbian now and i i still kid as I am. I thank God because he accepts me as I am. None of this matters. He still loves me the same. Praise be to the Lord. Eh? Don't praise God. Stop that. <laughs> I remember this post so clearly. I was shocked. And she didn't just cook this up in her mind. She was taught. She was taught by some teacher somewhere who was extreme in his teaching of grace or her teaching of grace telling this woman, this poor woman, that you can do whatever you like and it doesn't matter. God still loves you and accepts you the way you are. When he returns for you, he will just accept you, wade through all the mess and take you as you are. Don't get it twisted. That is false. That is from the pit of hell. It's a lie. Like I always say, God did not change you or save you to leave you as you were. He saved you to be like him. He accepted you as you were, quite all right, very true. And we are grateful for that. We honor that. We celebrate that. But God didn't save you to leave you where he found you. He saved you to take you to where he destined you to be. The Bible says we are his workmanship, created, created a forehand. We're created for that, for good works. That's God. That's your destiny in Christ, good works. That's where God wants to put you. So he was battling these guys and you see it in Jude chapter one from verse three to four. Open your Bibles there very quickly. uh, Jude, I beg your pardon, addressed this as well. So people were saying, I know him, I know him, but they were living a life that was not consistent with how God would live. Jude chapter one from verse three to four. Are you there? It has only one chapter and this should be good. It says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The, the faith is a phrase that doesn't just talk about beliefs, you know, what you believe. It, it's, it's more specific to the faith, the faith, the doctrine of salvation. The, 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 the belief system that God laid out for his church, the one that was delivered to the saints. Verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you have not seen this in the Bible before, but this is what we're battling. Antinomian teachers, those who are saying, look, the grace message is, you know, grace abounds so much. Oh, what shall we say that grace may abound and we continue in sin? Of course, go ahead. Grace covers it all. These were the people that John, Paul, Jude were wrestling against, fighting against Timothy. And they still exist today. There are people that would have you believe you can live a careless life, but not here in Vivify. We will stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. If you believe that, shout aloud, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. You cannot be dead to sin and still live in it. Praise the name of Jesus. You cannot be justified through faith without the works that follow that faith. You cannot. So if if you claim to know God, You will keep his commandments. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 5. Oh, it gets even more interesting. Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, keeps his commandments. And we're going to find out what these commandments are in a moment. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. I'll read that again. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. But this we know, by this, I beg your pardon, we know that we are in him. So what it's saying is that God's act of love in salvation is truly perfected when the fruit of of that salvation you receive becomes manifest. You truly can say God's love is perfected when you are bearing fruits. And, and, and I truly believe that obedience to God, obedience to God is what the gospel came to solve. Being able to keep his word. The, the, the first man in the world made a mistake and he committed a sin. What was that sin? Who knows? What was the sin of the first man, Adam? It was a sin of disobedience. Look at Romans chapter 5 from verse 18 to 19. I'll read it quickly thank you jesus romans chapter 5 from verse 18 to 19. it says therefore as through one man's offense judgment came to all men so the, the bible is saying one man's offense adam's offense he hasn't said what this offense is so because of one man judgment came to everyone resulting in condemnation but even so one man's righteous act The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. This is good. Verse 19. For as by one man's what? Ah, I can't hear you. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who is this one man? Adam. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Glory to God. The gospel came to solve the problem of disobedience, to make a people obedient to the will of God. Those aligned to his righteousness. That's what the gospel came to solve, as simple as that. Colossians chapter 3, from verse 6 to 7. It's little wonder that disobedience to parents under the law was punishable by death. Interesting. If it were still in, in motion today, oh boy. <laughs> we're in trouble. Colossians chapter 3 from verse 6 to 7. It says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon what? The sons of disobedience. So, anyone who is marked in the in the in the similitude of Adam, who is under the sin of Adam, they're called sons of disobedience. Just like Adam disobeyed at the beginning, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, past tense for you. As a believer, disobedience is your life in the past. It's gone. It's done away with. God came to solve the problem of disobedience. Say God came to solve the problem of disobedience in my life. God came to solve of in my life. And he solved it. And he solved it. It's, so it's beyond just behavioral modification or character adjustment. It's, it's deeper than that. It's not just about... Saying yes or saying no, there's something else uh, at stake. The, 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 the gospel came to solve a deep problem, as deep as your, your very nature. And Ezekiel chapter 36, from verse 25 to 27, says this. Let's open our Bibles there. Ezekiel chapter 36. Glory to Jesus. Are you learning anything so far? So much so. Ezekiel chapter 36, from verse 25. You know this, I read it to you all the time. Are you there? It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. This is what's gonna solve the problem. I'm not going to soften your heart, make it malleable. No, I'm gonna throw that one away, give you a new one, brand new, tear rubber. It was more than what, what the eyes saw. It was a deep problem. And the only way to solve the problem was to take away that stony heart. Take it completely and, re- and renew it with a new one. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And the heart of flesh doesn't mean, the flesh there doesn't mean the bad flesh. It means if." if You know, a heart that is soft, that is teachable, that can be malleable, that can be obedient. I will put my spirit within you, verse 27, and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. What is the result of putting the spirit in you that you can what? That you'll be able to walk in God's statutes and you'll be able to do what? Keep his judgments and do them so the mechanism that god was installing the operating system that god was updating in your life was to give you the ability now to keep his commandments praise the name of jesus the gospel came to solve this problem this problem of disobedience glory to jesus i'm going to read philippians chapter 2 where Pastor Chisholm read again today philippians chapter 2 from verse 12. i'm going to read up till verse verse 15. glory to jesus Glory to Jesus. Verse 12 to 13, um, then I'll read 14 to 15. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. And I love that he starts this way. You have always obeyed. It shows that, look, there's, there's a new life now in Christ. It's one marked by obedience. It says, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God which worketh in you for it is who it is God that does what the work in you to both desire to will to desire to want it and do of his good pleasure so God is the one who makes you compliant Verse 14, do all things without memories and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. This is what marks the life of a son of God, a child of God, Omo Baba, that you are blameless, you are harmless, without rebuke, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as light in the world. You shine as a light of obedience among sons of disobedience. This is God's plan for your life. Paul is admonishing the people here that they should yield to the state of their spirit, that obedient spirit. This is how we truly know that you know the Lord. He's asking them to be obedient to God, to be obedient to God. And even in the forthcoming national you know, elections, be obedient. If you know, you know. <laughs> verse six. <laughs> uh, verse six, amen. Uh It says, he who, be (laughs) obedient to, if you want to see results, amen. Verse 6, he who says he abides, the word abides is mene in the Greek. It means to remain, to stay, to be immersed. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You're meant to resemble your papa. That's what he's saying. Not just in talk. Walk the talk. Walk the talk. If you truly are in him, you ought to show forth his characteristics. You ought to, you know, his character needs to rub off on you. He needs to show if you really are in him. That's what he's saying. He who says he abides in God ought to walk the same way God walks. Look at John chapter 15 from verse 4. I'll read this quickly. Verse 4 to 10. Very powerful. Verse 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So it's saying you can only bear fruits truly if you abide with the you know, abide in the vine. It says, I am the vine, verse five, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It's beautiful. You abide in him and he abides in you. You bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That's why God has to be the one who wills you, you know, who who causes you to will and do of his good pleasure. He's the one who has to put his spirit within you to cause you to obey his statutes. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Look, this, this illustration that Jesus is giving, and what what fruit is he talking about? He's talking about a grapevine. There is a vine, there are branches, and those branches will bear fruit, grapefruits. All right, if you detach the branch from the source of life, from that vine, it's not going to produce any fruit. It's going to wither away. He's using that illustration to say, look, to do the will of God, you need to be you need to be in him and with him. You need to abide in him. Praise the name of Jesus. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, he's exp- He's expounding it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And when God's words abide in you, your desires will change. Amen. Your desires will be aligned to his and every time they'll be given to you. Verse eight, but by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Verse nine, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's saying, when you keep the commandments of God, you abide in his love. Abide in His love. Praise the name of Jesus. I'm going to expound on this in the next verse. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Well, just in verse seven, though. This is interesting. Verse seven. It says, "Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. So He's saying, I'm not writing to you a new commandment." I'm writing to you an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. What commandment is he talking about? He's been talking about keeping some commandments, keeping some word so so that you can abide in him, so you can truly know him. What commandment is he talking about? Maybe you have a glimpse of it in, in what we just read in John 15. The same John who wrote this, by the way. And where he said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Love, love, love. Commandment, love, love. Maybe you're getting an idea. Let's see. You know, Exodus chapter 20 talks about something that many of us know, right? Do you know what is in Exodus chapter 20? It talks about the Ten Commandments. This is where Moses delivers this message to a stone, stony heart people, right? He delivers this message on, a ta- on tablets of stones and he lists them one by one. That shalt have no other god before me. That I shall not make any graven image. That I shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. thou know, shall keep the Sabbath and you know observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. You honor your father and mother. You know, so the days belong. Don't covet. You know, don't uh, commit adultery. And it starts to list all these things one by one. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. All of that. I can tell you categorically that the first four ver- uh, the first four commandments talk about love. The last six talk about love as well. But the first four, more specifically, talk about your love for God. This is the commandment, your love for God. The remaining six talk about your love for people, love for your neighbors. I'm going to read a scripture to explain it. I'm not making this up. Look at this. Mark chapter 12 from verse 29 to 31. Open your Bibles. Mark chapter 12 from verse 29 to 31. The Bible is so beautiful, isn't it? Everything is so beautiful and connected. I love it so much. Thank you, Jesus. Mark chapter 12 from verse 29 to 31. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I love this. I love this part that says you will love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and they, they mean the same thing. But I love where he, that he says, you know, your mind is involved in loving God. Your mind is involved, your heart is involved, your emotions, your will, your intellect, they're all involved. Your, your faith and love for God is not blind. It's not blind faith it's reasonable it's reasonable your mind is involved your soul is involved it says to love god with all of it it says this is the first commandment the second is like this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these this was jesus speaking no other commandment greater than these it means the ten commandments are still valid You see that the first four talk about loving the Lord God with all your heart. If you love God, you will have no other God before him. And it might not be some graven image that you've made. It could be the one behind your screen. It could be that person that you just can't do or live without, you know, and place in a place above God in your heart. If you love God, you will not take his name in vain. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then if you love your neighbors as you love yourself, and many people miss that part of the second commandment is also to love yourself. It's part of it. You love people just as you love yourself, Do you understand. Of course, there's even a much more uh, greater standard to love so sacrificially that you put others before you. But if you love people, you will not commit adultery. You will not commit adultery and offend your spouse. You will not bear false witness against your neighbor. You will not steal, you will not kill, right? You won't. You won't do these things if you love someone. All right, so you can see how that summarizes. that. I'll read uh, Romans 13. Maybe you don't believe me. Romans chapter 13 from verse 8 to 10. I'm trying to establish what these commandments we've been talking about are. It says there's no new commandment. This is the same commandment that we received from our Lord Jesus. I'm saying the same thing to you. You've known it from the beginning. Romans chapter 13 from verse 8 to 10. Look at this. Beautiful. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Look at that. Someone who loves another person has what? Fulfilled the law. For the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. Look, it's there. This is New Testament. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying namely you shall love your neighbor as yourself this is in your bible though. he's telling you all those things that summed up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law powerful this is powerful so now i have summarized what the commandments of god are it's love it's always been love it's always been love Where the Bible says, you know, the covenant he will make with his people in those days where he will write their laws on his heart. This is the law that you can now have the ability to love, that the fruit of your spirit is love, joy, peace. Love is a fruit of your spirit is written on your heart. Now you have the ability to love God and to love his people. Glory to God. That's the commandment. Is it hard? Yes, it is. It can be hard. But this is the commandment. It's love. The very thing that defines God. That God is love. And it's the same writer, John, that says that. God is love and love is of God. So if God wants you to keep commandments that are likened to his attributes, it's love. Thank you, Jesus. This is powerful revelation. Powerful stuff. Are you ready? Let's go. Verse 8. So we're in verse 8. 1 John 2, verse 8. Again... A new commandment. So now, okay, you've given us the old one. There's a new commandment. What could this be? A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So you said I'm giving you a new commandment because, look, darkness is passing away, you know, and true light is shining. The light is shining. Alright, so he's building, it seems to to be that he's bringing a new commandment. But as we go further, you're going to see that he's actually doing something else. He's building on the already existing commandment, right? I believe he's calling it new, but it's not really new. It's it's embedded in the old commandment that he's established. And you understand what I'm saying. Alright, look at this. Verse 9. He who is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now so he's introducing this new commandment it says he who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now this is powerful so no matter how long you've been in church no matter where you serve no matter what your office is in the body of christ if you hate your brother, you hate your sister, you detest them, you're bitter against them, you're keeping malice. He says you're still in the darkness. Nothing has changed. You're not walking in the light, you're in darkness. Man, that's, that's a huge statement to make. And, and this is not a case of forgive and forget. This is just a case of forgive. Because will you really ever forget? He's saying forgive. Don't hate your brother. Don't hate your sister. And it might not even be a a thing of offense. It could just be a thing of jealousy. You just don't like this person because they seem to be doing well. If you are in that that boat, in that situation, darkness is in you. Some some, Some people, you have this lingering bitterness towards them. You have this lingering detestment, strife for another brother and sister with which you are bonded by spirit to. It says you're walking in darkness, you're not in the light. Man, that's huge. It's just forgive, it's not a case of forgive and forget. It's just forgive, your feelings will catch up later. Let it go. Program your mind to release that person in your heart. Do not hate your brother, because hatred is the exact opposite of love, the love of God, it's the exact opposite imagine light is love, darkness is hate. That's it. It's it's as simple as that in comparison. A true son of light would look like Jesus who represents the father. And Jesus, what did he do when he was being beaten and smitten and being put on the cross? He looks at the people who offended him, the same people who had shouted Hosanna in the highest. He's looking them in the face and says, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. I don't hate them i'm doing this even being killed because i love them look at what the bible says this is going to this is going to hit you deep if it's not already hits you so far what we've read this is going to hit you another one luke chapter 6 from verse 27 this bible is so harmonious i love it thank you jesus thank you jesus brahma suit tikas Oh, every hurt, every pain, every bitterness dies today. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. Every bitterness in your life, every strife that has been hidden or just put aside in some corner, it dies today. Mm-hmm. The love of God will replace all that ails in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Glory to Jesus. Luke chapter six from verse 27 to 36. Are you ready? Don't yes, Glory to God. It says, but I say to you, oh no, look sit up sit up this scripture is not for people who are lying down sit up (laughs) wherever you are get ready this is going to hit you but i say to you who hear love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you what Pray for them, not just be okay with them or forgive them. He says to pray for them. Oh, come on. Jesus, what are you saying? This is huge. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. Wow. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Wow. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, this is the golden rule, you also do to them likewise. What you want someone to do to you, do it back to them. But if you love those, look at this, now it gets serious. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? You only like the people that like you. You love the people that love you. He goes on to say, for even sinners love those who love them. Ah, He's saying your case is different though. Even sinners like people that like them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, you're only doing nice things for those people who have done nice things for you. He said, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from which you hope to receive back, you are giving to those you know can pay you back. He says, What credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your eye, ah, glory to God, and your reward will be great. <laughs> There's incentive for this so And the rewarder is not man, it's God. It's God in this life and in the hereafter. He says, do this. Do good, lend, don't hope for anything in return. Your your reward is great. And you will be the sons. You You will be Omobaba. You will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful. Ah, God is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. This is powerful. Show mercy to those who don't deserve it. Show love to the most undeserving because you yourself are undeserving undeserving of love. Look at Romans chapter 12. Let me just read this to rehash this one. I'll read it as quickly as I can. Romans chapter 12, hmm. <laughs> we're gonna read from verse 14. Verse 14, you've seen the words of our Lord Jesus, very hard, very strong, but very possible. But look at Romans chapter chapter 12 from verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. You, you can hear the words of the Lord echoing here, right? Bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep be of the same mind towards one another do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble be not wise in your own opinion now look at verse 17 repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men if it is possible as much as depends on you look at that if it is possible as much as your your ability can carry live peaceably with all men if it's within your purview if it's within your ability to make peace make that peace let there be no person that comes to mind that you are not at peace with let that not be said of you that there are people on your blacklists. let that not be said of you love your enemy now this is not reestablish a relationship with your enemy that's not what it's saying this is a supernatural act of love where in your mind's eye, this person, as you see them, you've let go of all the offense. You don't take any record of wrong. You see them as people worthy of love, just as God counted you worthy of his love. You forgive them. Look at this. Beloved, verse 19, do not avenge yourselves. You've watched too much Avengers now. You want to always do bad things to people. That's, that's, that's what Jesus is saying through, through, through Paul here. But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will take care of you. Your your part is not to do wicked things, do me, I do you. Leave it to God to avenge you. Therefore, as a result of this, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, and your enemy might not be someone who you, you name as an enemy, it could be someone who just offended you, who in that moment is an enemy to you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. <laughs> if your enemy is thirsty, give him drink. In so, for in so doing, he will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Praise the name of Jesus. This is deep. The verse we read in verse 9 in 1 John 2 says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now deep verse 10 he who loves his brother now the other way around he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him when you love the brethren when you love the body of christ the people around you you're walking in the light you're a true child of your father verse 11 glory to jesus But he who hates his brother, he's reiterating it here again. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And this is very true. A lot of people start to do things they never imagined they would do because they are blinded by hate and darkness. They start to do things that they never imagined. They start to gossip. And they've never done that. They start to, to do bad things and talk bad about this person. And, and, and subconsciously and consciously ignore these people and treat them badly. But kindness is a fruit of your spirit. Goodness is a, is a fruit of your spirit. Tolerance and self-control is a fruit of your spirit. Look at Colossians chapter 3 from verse 8 to 10. Let's go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. It says something very similar to this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ah, Colossians chapter 3 from verse 8 to 10. Then we'll read till 14 afterwards. It says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Are you, are you following? But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice. It's in the Bible. Malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Because now you you don't like this person who has offended you and made you feel the way that you feel. Filthy language has come out of your mouth. But Paul is saying, put it off. Put it off. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man. He's saying all these things you've put off. A result of you putting off the old man with his deeds. But what have you done? You have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Glory to God. You've put on a new man. Can you say this? I have put on the new man. I have put on the new man. And I'm increasing in my knowledge of the Lord. I look more and more like Jesus. I look more and more like my father. Amen. Glory to God. Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. I love how he calls us holy. That's the assumption of you. You're holy and you're loved. It says, put on tender mercies, kindness. It's not, not just mercy. Oh. Tender what? Mercy. When you see the Bible add an extra, whether it's tender kindness or tender love, you know, it's, it's very tender. It's warm. It's heartfelt. It's from the deepest parts of your heart. Tender mercies, kindness, humility. I know it hurts your ego to forgive this person. What would they think that you're so easy to forgive that they can take advantage of you? Yes! They took advantage of your Lord Jesus Christ. The one who gave his life for the ones that that uh, despitefully used him. He gave his life for them. Yes, they took advantage of him. Because of his love but you wear humility like a badge. Meekness, long suffering, which means patience. To suffer hardship long enough. Bearing with one another. Look at that. Bearing with one another. It's talking about the brothers in Christ. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint or an offense against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must you do. But above all these things, put on love. This is the commandment. This is the commandment. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Glory to Jesus. He's revealing your life. He's telling you the kind of life you've been called to, a life of love. God, (laughs) a life of love. Praise the name of Jesus. Now go to verse 12, and this is where we're going to end today, this verse. It says, I write to you, little children. And little children here means technia. Um, The original Greek still says they're little children, like infants or children growing. I believe uh, when he writes my little children, he's talking um, to people who are growing in the faith. People he aims to grow to maturity. You know, he wrote at the beginning that I write these things to you that you sin not. So he's, he's telling you that, no, he's, there's there, a group of people, is counseling, he's growing in the faith, he's grooming, he's edifying to a point of maturity where they're consistent in their walk with the Lord. So that's what he's talking. He's writing to them, he's talking to them again. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. The word name is onoma, which means authority. The same place where you say at the name of Jesus, at the onoma of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, at the authority, at the power, at the reputation of Jesus. He's, he says, your sins are forgiven, not your sins will be forgiven, or your sins may be forgiven if only you confess. He's writing to them because their sins are already forgiven. And it's for his name's sake, for his glory, for his reputation, that the work he came to do once and for all was achieved. That when he said it was finished, it really was finished, and it afforded these people forgiveness of sins. Praise the name of Jesus. This is beautiful. And I find this interesting, this particular verse. It's so powerful, and I want to emphasize something here. He's saying, I'm writing this to you because your sins are forgiven. I find that with with the knowledge that you are forgiven comes the freedom to live forgiven. I'll say that again. With the knowledge that you are forgiven brings with it the freedom to live forgiven, to live free of sin. There's a peace that comes knowing that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. There is a peace that comes. And it says, I'm writing this thing to you So that you know that you are forgiven. Why is it important that he's emphasizing forgiveness of sins? I'm going to give you two stories and I'm going to explain to you how that is so. Thank you, Jesus. Look at this story. Luke chapter 7. From verse 48 to 50. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is good. Thank you, Jesus. Are you there? Luke chapter seven from verse 48 to 50. Then he said to her, this was after he had told the Pharisees, he had told them, look, they brought this, adulterous who, um, they brought this prostitute, sorry, this prostitute had come, sorry, I'm mixing the stories up. The, the prostitute uh, who came to this place, who poured oil on his feet, rubbed it with her hair, you know, out of her alabaster box, you know, she got, um, Jesus had spoken to Peter and asked and said, you know, what do you say? Who would I forgive? The one who who would love me more, the one who I forgive more or the one I forgive little? And he said, the one you forgive of much, much sin. So he's saying, look, you're correct. The one, um, you know, he was talking to Simon who was there, that the one truly <coughs> who has committed the most offenses When I forgive them of those offenses, they will love me more. They will appreciate the huge debts that was forgiven. And so he says to her now, looks at this woman who had cried her heart out. And I I believe that she was doing this as an act of sacrifice. She didn't have a lamb. She couldn't go to the temple to offer a sacrifice, a, a lamb to be burnt for her sins. But she saw the one who she knew could forgive sins And she gave what she could. She gave her last. She gave her most expensive oil, an ointment, her perfume oil. She she poured it out as, hopefully this can atone for my sins. And Jesus looks to her and says, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace when you have an understanding that you've been forgiven, there is peace. He says, go, to, go in peace, he, he tells her. Go in peace, your, your faith has saved you. Your faith, not your oil, not your crying, I saw your heart, you wanted forgiveness, and so your sins are forgiven. Do you see that? Powerful. And many people might rally and, and ask, you know, what do you mean by that? How can you say this, that, that oh, you're forgiving someone and you just let her go? Will she not continue doing the rubbish she has been doing? Should she not be discipled? I understand. You want her to be discipled. You want her to be counseled. You even wanted Jesus to, to say, ah, oh, oh girl, Seth, you are stand up because now let's talk, Seth. Before I forgive you, let's have a conversation. You know you are you're a very silly girl, yeah? I've done rubbish things. I know. I've heard about you. You are silly. You're silly. You know, you, you'd expect that. No, none of that. He looks at this woman truly who is grieved by her sin and tells her you're forgiven, go in peace. But the good news is that, look, the person in question is a person we know today as Mary Magdalene. And, you know, in fact, we shouldn't be calling her Mary Magdalene. She's actually called Mary of Magdalene. So you could call her Mary the Magdalene, right? So Magdalene was a place in Galilee, you know, and, and suspected that she's also the same person you know who was Lazarus' sister you know Mary in Bethany that she lived she was born and brought up in Galilee but moved sometime to Bethany all right but that's just extra information this was Mary of Magdala Mary Magdalene herself this was this was her interaction with the Lord Jesus praise the name of Jesus this is beautiful but do we know what happened to her afterwards she followed the Lord she was one of the most proactive disciples she was one of the people One of the first women that saw Jesus at his resurrection. Did she follow? She did follow. Reminds me of the woman at the well, right? The woman at the well encountered Jesus. As much as her sin was revealed, she also knew that there was forgiveness. She followed after the Lord Jesus. Look at this other story. John chapter 8 from verse 7. I'm talking about the emphasis of forgiveness. And how that gives you the freedom to live for the Lord. John chapter 8 from verse 7 to 12. Let's go there very quickly. John chapter 8 from verse 7 to 12. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It says, So then, are you with me? (coughs) So when they continued asking him, you know, they brought this adulterous woman, uh, this adulterous woman, I beg your pardon, to to Jesus. The law of Moses says we should kill her. Right? The Lord of Moses says we should stone her to death. But what do you say? But what do you say? But what do you say? You know, they're asking Jesus. And he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. You know the story, right? And again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one. Beginning with the, with the oldest, even to the last and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. This woman was in tears. She was crying. She was afraid. This was going to be her last day on earth Last moment. She surely was going to be killed. There was no way she knew the consequences and she was going to pay them And he says to the woman he raises up her he- his head and looks at her woman. Where? Where are, where are all the people that I brought you? Why are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no, Lord. No one has condemned me. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Look, the realization that you've been forgiven. Look. The fact that Jesus told her, your sins are forgiven, and tells her, go and sin no more. Same template which he spoke to the, 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 the alabaster box prostitute. He talks to her and tells her, go and sin no more. That's where the freedom is. The power to go and sin no more lies in the forgiveness of sins. When you know that you've been forgiven, now you are empowered to go and sin no more. Go and live for the one who had forgiven you and freed you from sin. Everyone that this happened to, they they followed the Lord. They were transformed by it, by the forgiveness of sins. This is what I'm trying to tell you. You are forgiven. If you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven. And there lies the ability to go and sin no more. You can go and sin no more. You can live a life of righteousness knowing that you are forgiven. The consciousness that you are right before God gives you that boldness. Let Let me even make it simple. How many of you have done something very wrong? You know you made a mistake. And because of the mistake you made, you fell short. And you started to feel guilty. You started to feel like God was far away from you. You couldn't call him father. You couldn't pray anymore. It was hard. In fact, it got so bad that you were not going to church anymore. You were not attending fellowship anymore. Because you felt guilty. You felt condemned. You just didn't feel like you belonged again. But how did it feel when you knew that God was not upset with you? That God was not angry with you, that you had forgiveness with God. It allowed you to have the freedom to approach him, to come with him with boldness, to live a life that he wants you to live. You could approach God. You could approach his people. You could be part of fellowship. You could pray again. You could study your Bible again. That's what forgiveness does. Gives you the ability to go and sin no more. Romans chapter 2 from verse 14, and I'll close with this. Romans 2, 4, I beg your pardon. Romans chapter 2 from verse 4, this is what it says. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? This is it. When God showed his goodness to this woman that we've mentioned, even to a man like Zacchaeus, who was a sinful man, or a man like Matthew, who was a tax collector, and he was, he, was, he was vile according to Jewish tradition. He, 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 was a, he was a betrayer, a traitor. That God saw these people, Jesus looked at them, extended his goodness and he led them to repentance. That Jesus looked at Peter, a sinful man, and, and provided fish for him. And he looked at Jesus and said, depart from me for a sinful man. You knew in that moment he was sinful and he needed the help of the Lord Jesus. He came to repentance through faith in Jesus. That is the story of forgiveness. We started this whole thing saying, look, if you make a mistake, you have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus, God is calling you to repentance and not, more, not just repentance, but to reconciliation by faith in him he wants you to know that you are forgiven and that you can live free with this forgiveness you can go in peace you can go and sin no more that you can walk and look like your father that you can be like him in every way in word deed thought you can be a replica a true son a true daughter of your father You can lead with love, you can live a life of love. You can keep his commandments now because you have his spirit within you. You can be a true child of your father, having his very nature and living it out, to walk in him, to abide in him truly like he walked. And if you believe this, I want you to just say this prayer with me. Let's close your eyes right now and pray. Father, this is an appreciation. Thank you. Thank you because I am forgiven in you because I have forgiveness of sins. No matter how much my sins were, you've forgiven them all. In fact, you said the more the sin, the better it is for me to love the easier it is to love more because the debt was so heavy to pay and you paid it all in full with so much more left over you you overpaid for my sins you were the you are the propitiation of my sins and that of the entire world it's such a sufficient such an efficacious sacrifice thank you daddy because I am forgiven because I have peace with you through Jesus Christ because I have access to you by the blood of Jesus that I can come boldly before your throne of grace because there is no middle wall of partition. There is access now. There's access into this grace wherein I stand right now and I rejoice in the hope of glory. Come on, pray. If you know that you are forgiven, if you know truly that God does not count your sins against you, that God has proclaimed and declared over you that your sins and iniquities he will not remember anymore, that he's not counting and charging that into your account, come on, pray and thank him. Thank him. You did not not deserve it you could not earn it yet he gave it to you he gave you forgiveness he afforded it to you through the sacrifice of his son jesus come on give him all the glory come on give him all the glory active thank you Lord we are forgiven he said I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven oh glory to God we're gonna pray the second prayer this is for all of you who have been wronged there's no one who hasn't it's a hard thing it's a hard place to be you've been wronged you've been offended They've gossiped about you they bore false witness they hurt you they broke up with you they broke your heart they betrayed you all sorts of things it's hard but we see now that to walk in the light we must walk as jesus walked that even to the ones who were the most gruesome of sinners he forgave even the one who was actively personally antagonizing jesus and jesus asked this man on a road where he was about to carry out his next execution and he speaks to this man, he says, Why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? But that story of persecution ended in justification. Yes. A man like Paul, who claimed to be the worst of sinners, was saved by the Lord Jesus. And he says, Just as I've forgiven even the worst, forgive them. Love your enemies, forgive those, bless those who curse you pray for those who spitefully use you. Can you say a prayer right now and and be honest to your Father? Lord, I want to look like you in every way even in forgiveness. I want to truly walk in the light just as you have walked and and shown me the way to walk in light. You forgave your enemies and you proved it by your death on the cross. Help me to let go. Help me to let go. Help me to forgive. There will be no one on my black list that I say I hate because you do not hate anyone. I will hate anybody. I love everyone. I love the brethren. I love my ex. I love this person that betrayed me. I love this person that hurt me. Even if it's a family member, even if it's a parent, wherever it is, this person that has hurt me, this person that has done this terrible thing, I let it go. I am not walking in the darkness anymore. It's hard, but God has given me a spirit that is able to love. A spirit of love and a sound mind. I can love. I can forgive. I might remember, but I can forgive. I might not forget, but I can forgive. I let you go in my heart. Maybe you can take it a step further and prove your forgiveness by mentioning their names. You can mention their names and say, you, I forgive you. No malice, no bitterness, no anger in my heart. I forgive you. Yes, for some of you, the wounds are still fresh. I know it might take some time for your feelings to catch up. But forgive. It's a decision to forgive before an emotion. It's a decision to forgive before it is an emotion. Come on, forgive those people. Let it go. 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 There will be no trace of hatred in your life. No trace of hatred in your life all the days of your life, no hatred in the name of Jesus. You will love and lead with love. You will lead with love. You will lead with love. You will speak like your Lord. Forgive them for they do not know what they do. Forgive them for they do not know what they do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray for these ones. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for these ones who are making the decision to live a life of love, to look like their father. Lord, I pray for that grace. That transformational grace. That as we've put on Christ, we are transformed to his very image. We look more like you every day. That we keep your commandments, that we love you and we love people around us. This is the commandment you've given to us. We'll live it out for the rest of our lives. We'll grow in you. We will stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. May this be the story of our lives, that we look like you. The world will see it. You will see it. And you are glorified. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Come on, shout aloud, Hallelujah. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.